Well, good morning, and for those of you guys who don't know me, my name is Stephanie Summers, like uh, Pastor said, and I am so thankful to be with you this morning. Just a little bit about me, not much. Um, I actually served as a Southern Baptist pastor's wife for 19 years in this community. My husband went to be with the Lord last December the 8th, um, and he... um, was a wonderful, wonderful lover, passionate lover of the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, because he understood what he had been rescued from. God called him out of a lifetime of addiction and um, saved him in a way that was definitively unmistakable. His life first was 2 Corinthians 5.17. He was fully and truly believed in new creation in Jesus Christ. And so he lived that out until the day that he went to be with the Lord. I want to thank you for having me, and I I do come to you this morning under the authority of Jesus Christ and your pastor, and I do not take lightly when I step up here with his blessing, so thank you so much. Well, you guys have been talking about Revelation, and when Austin asked me if I would be here today, I said, well, where will you be? And he said, Revelation chapter 18, the fall of Babylon. And I said, oh, okay. (laughs) So there are a lot of places we could go this morning. And I certainly um, do not have the uh, credentials, nor do I have the forewithal, to attempt to drag you into the debate of many theologians of where Babylon is exactly today and when and all those things, right? We know the end of the story, that we will be with Jesus in heaven for eternity in the presence of our holy God if we have confessed with our mouth and believed with our heart the Lord Jesus as our Savior. Amen? And so that's what we can know and believe. So I wanted us to continue looking into Revelation in the way that your pastor has by looking for Jesus, seeing the redemptive hand of God through his son, Jesus Christ. So I want to read the scripture, and if you are able, if you'll stand for the reading of God's word, I would appreciate it. If you can't, that's okay too. And let's read Revelation chapter 18. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a little measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. 
For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, your great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, and chariots and slaves, that is human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, and with pearls, for in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade is on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and your saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel stood up a stone like a great, took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth and all nations were deceived by your sorcery and in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and all who have been slain on the earth father god we thank you so much for your beautiful word father we do not um come today to seek knowledge for the sake of knowledge father but we come today and open our hearts and our ears god to hear from your spirit lord i pray that i would say nothing that is not from you I pray, God, that I will only speak the words that will cut to the quick our hearts, Father. Bring us, Lord, to repentance this morning so that, Father, you can begin a good work here of revival in your people so that in these last days, Father, we can carry your gospel to this hurt, dying world. And it's in your name we ask and pray, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So as I said, theologians with much more education than I have continue to debate who the Babylon of Revelation 18 represents. So I will not begin to try to compete in that debate this morning. Instead, I want us to consider the question, where is God's redemptive hand in these verses? Where is the good news of Jesus in Revelation 18? 
The city of Babylon in the Old Testament was located about 50 miles south of Baghdad along the Euphrates River in the present-day Iraq. The first mention of Babylon in the Bible is in Genesis, and it was a city on the Euphrates River comprised of the descendants of Shem, which was one of Noah's sons. The city of Babylon was becoming self-reliant with one language, seeking worldwide power by making a name for themselves. Their powerful self-reliance showed their lack of faith in God. And the reason I wanted us to consider the Babylon of the Old Testament as well as the Babylon of the New Testament is because I think we're going to see that we have some things in our culture today in common with them. They said, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Genesis 11:4. Well, remember the Lord had said that Adam and Eve were to go forth and to populate the whole world, right? So the whole plan of God was not for everybody to stay in one place, but for them to go. Self-reliance in our modern-day culture, according to Merriam-Webster, is reliance on one's efforts and abilities. It has been alluded to roughly in psychological journals as a reliance on internal resources to provide life with meaning and fulfillment. A reliance on internal resources to provide life with meaning and fulfillment. And that was Baumeister, 1987, page 1071. There is no dependence that can be sure, but a dependence upon oneself. That is a quote by John Gay. The only person you are destined to become is the person you decide to be. Ralph Waldo Emerson. Have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. Steve Jobs. And we know what the Bible has to say about our heart. It's a liar and a deceiver. Freedom. To ask nothing, to expect nothing, to depend on nothing. Anne Rand, who wrote The Fountainhead. The Fountainhead is a novel about rational self-interest, a worldview that holds that people are more useful to others when they are looking out for themselves. Rand called her philosophy objectivism, describing its essence as the concept of a man as a heroic being, with his own happiness as the moral purpose of life, with productive achievement as his noblest activity, and reason as his only absolute. So, we see not much has changed in our idea of self-reliance. God saw the arrogance and ambition of the people were out of bounds and said, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. That was in Genesis eleven seven, And then the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city, and it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them around over the face of all the earth. That's Genesis eleven eight through 9. And so while it might appear that God's scattering of all the peoples is a punishment, it was also a means of redemption, because from the beginning... God has always been making a way for us to be reconciled with him and spend eternity with him. Even in the Garden of Eden, he made the first blood sacrifice to cover the shame and nakedness of Adam and Eve. 
So from the beginning, God has intended people to disperse across the world to be fruitful and multiply is what he said in Gen- and fill the earth in Genesis 1.28. So by scattering people after the fall of the tower, God put people back on the path, his path of filling the earth, ultimately resulting in the beautiful array of people and cultures that populate the earth today. If people had completed the tower under a singulatary of maliciousness intent and social tyranny with the result that nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them, Genesis 11:6. You can only imagine the horrors they would have worked in their pride and in their strength of sin. The scale of evil worked by humanity in the 20th and 21st centuries gives us just a glimpse of what people might do if all things were possible for us without dependence on God. So as the philosopher and author of Crime and Punishment, Dostoevsky put it, without God and the future life, it means everything is permitted. We see our culture leaning into that everything is permitted idea. And we know that Paul said all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial, right? So later, Babylon becomes this great city under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar, and it became a symbol of wealth, power, and prosperity in the region, worshiping idols and not the God of Israel. So God allowed the Jews to be taken captive there for 70 years in Babylon because of their disobedience. And the temple that God built by King Solomon in the homes of all the Jews was destroyed, and Babylon's brutality, brutality toward Israel would be met with their own destruction by Persia and King Cyrus in 539 B.C. This was prophesied in Jeremiah chapter 50, chapter 50 and verse 46. At the noise of the taking of Babylon, the earth is moved and the cry is heard among the nations. So this morning, I want us to take a closer look at the fall of Babylon in John's revelation and see the clear presence of that gospel thread. God's redemptive work is continuously stitching his word together. So let's consider that angel's declaration in verse 1 of Revelation. I mean, I'm sorry, in verse 2 of Revelation chapter 18. It has fallen, Babylon the great has fallen. And now I want you guys to do me a favor if you would. I want you to turn to John chapter 19 and verse 30. Because I want us to compare that angelic declaration to the quiet resolve of Christ Jesus on the cross. He said there in John 19.30, it says, When Jesus had received sour wine, he said, It is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. I can barely say that without crying to think of what Jesus did for us. It's because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, all evil will crumble. Every Babylon will fall. And the final wrath of God where we will, where you saw a, a couple weeks ago in Revelation 16, verse 7, when the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done, that will be satisfied and anything that opposes God will fall. So the commonality of the Babylon of the Old Testament and the Babylon of the New Testament is what? Their destruction. 
So their main sin was idol worship, and Babylon idolized itself and refused to acknowledge or glorify our God. So Babylon's sins were piled high to the heaven, as uh, we saw in uh, verse 5 of Revelation 18, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup that she mixed. God remembered her crimes as he should have. But what about our sins? What about our transgressions this morning? Today, our culture is not much different. We see a pursuit of self, right? And you guys, I know interaction's good if you want to do that. It's great. I don't mind. We see that we are relying more and more on self. We are relying more and more on men. We look to politicians to solve the problems of the world. The rest of the world looks to our country to solve their problems. We look to ourselves like all these self-help things. How many of you guys own a self-help book? It's okay. Okay, you're not, you're, you're in church, don't lie. All right, so, um, so we see the, all of these self-help books. If you look at Facebook, and I'm sure some of you guys don't do that because you're, so, you know, more spiritual than me. But with Facebook, what is it? When you're on Facebook, ads, ads, ads. Oh, do this. Dance your way to this, and you can be thin, and eat this, and it'll do this. You know, you, 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 you can do it. How many of you guys have heard somebody say this? I hope y'all haven't said it, but if you, had, I'm, if you have, I'm sorry. You just do you, girl. You just live your truth. Your truth is garbage. My truth is garbage. Right? I'm sorry. The only truth is the word of God. Our heart is a liar and a deceiver. Do not follow your heart. It will lead you to destruction. So we are constantly consumed with these multiple idols that turn our focus away from God, his faithfulness, and his plan for our lives. Idol worship leads to immorality when we are so consumed with the worship of other gods instead of the one true God. In today's culture, we as women worship our husbands, our children, our grandchildren, our careers. And I get it. I worshiped my husband. I was addicted to my husband. I met him when I was 16. I was out of the will of God, and he was lost as the blue blazes. And we were a pair. We were a hot mess. <laughs> And I tell people, if I could have taken Tommy Summers and put him in a syringe and shot him up, I would have. I denied God for my husband. And then we had children. And, man, I loved those kids. I didn't know what to do with them, but I sure did love them. 
I jacked him up a little bit along the way because, you know, I was 17 when I started raising kids. And uh, by God's grace, they're all all right, pretty much. (laughs) But I will tell you this. The idols that I set up in my life, the idols of my husband, the idols of my children, they cost me so much. And I was paying a price that I didn't have to pay because the Lord Jesus had already paid the price. So at 32, I landed face first in my living room floor, and the light came on from a lifetime of uh, legalism. And I recognized that the Lord had never changed his mind about me. That even in my horrible stumbling through uh, the age 15 to 32, up and down, in and out of church, he had never changed his mind about me. And I recommitted my life to the Lord and vowed to follow him at that time for the rest of my life. That didn't mean I was going to be perfect from then on. It meant that I was never going to turn around and go back and I I gave up my husband I gave up alcohol gave up drugs gave up all the things that you know we we talk about (laughs) and I promised the Lord that I would devote my the rest of my life to following him and that if there ever came a time when I was not going to do that again that he would take me home instead of letting me live that life And so I think about that. That helps me. But that idol of my husband, my sweet husband, I had to sacrifice him that day on the altar of God. I had to leave him there and trust the Lord to take care of him. And so I did leave him. I left him. I went to church. And I literally left him on a bathroom floor, sick from his addiction. God is good. 18 months later, my husband came to know him. Two years after that, he answered the call to preach the gospel. So that is what God can do with our idols when we give them over to him. But so many times, like Babylon, we have these idols. And it leads us to immorality. And we will be so consumed with the worship of other gods instead of the one true God. We become obsessed with money, careers, economic status, education, or politics. I've even had people tell me, I'm sorry, I can't serve the Lord because I'm too busy getting an education about him. So, I mean, listen, I'm not down in seminary or Bible college or all the education in the world, but God says don't get knowledge for the sake of knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, the knowledge of God that we have, all we need is what the Holy Spirit gives us. The knowledge of Jesus Christ and salvation, that's what he calls us to go and tell. It is really cool when you study the Hebrew and the Greek and you see those things come to life and you study the whole Bible. That's awesome. We should do that every day. We should not do that in place of serving and going and telling and sharing. We do the same thing with our careers. Our churches are struggling. They're on the decline because they can't get people to come and help them go because they're too busy. Too busy with our idols. 
too busy with our politics, our education, our economic status. God doesn't care what our house looks like. I mean, yeah, do the best you can, right? But listen, if that house looking a certain way or that car being a certain kind causes you to have to work more because you, so you will have less time to serve the Lord and carry the gospel, then get rid of it. You know, when the Lord sent his disciples out, he said, don't even take a money bag with you. You just go. Because my people are going to provide whatever you need, and if they don't want to hear you, then fine, dust your feet off, go to the next hill, and they'll take care of you. And I'm going to tell you, I knew that. My husband and I lived that. But my husband had the spiritual gift, literally, of generosity. And, 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 and he, he, he gave anything anybody needed. But I did not realize just how much God will take care of us until this last 11 months being a widow that had never really had to work. And now God's provided me with the opportunity to work three jobs. And, and he takes care of me and still gives me Friday, Saturday, and Sunday off so that I can do what he's called me to do. So I, I'm just pleading with you to give up those idols. God will take care of you. I, I have lived that. I have seen it. I have received it. And so we become obsessed. <clears throat> we become focused on striving for success, even success within the church and our goals and our position or status within the church, right? How many of you guys have ever just been like, oh, man, we got, you don't have to raise your hand, this is rhetorical, but like, oh, man, we got to, get this goal and we got to get this many shoe boxes and we got to meet this many people and all that and these are cool I mean I think we should do these they're awesome we do them at our church it's, I know I know personally the story of a little girl that received those boxes in an orphanage in Ukraine years ago and she's now in this country and she was adopted and, and it meant the world to her I'm just saying we we cannot put our goals as a church in front of God's call if it's not lining up with what he says, we've got to be careful. It's not about numbers. It's about the Lord and sharing him with others. We can't do that sitting in here. And you don't have to go to the mission field. And I know so many of y'all probably have. And I know so many of y'all support missions financially. But you live in Griffin, Georgia. I don't know where you guys go in Griffin, but on my side of town, I go to the Kroger. That's a mission field. If you say, oh, Stephanie, you don't understand. I have all these problems, these health issues. I get it. I can't go to the mission field anymore. Well, I tell you what, you can go to Kroger. <clears throat> you can even get one of those little sit-and-shop things, you know. Go to Kroger. It's a mission field. Take you some New Testaments. The Gideons will give them to you for free. And share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the people that are sitting on the corner holding signs, begging. You, you remember the dude that was begging in the Bible and the disciples said, hey, man, we don't have any money, but it's, we've got what you need. Give them what they need. It's easy to throw them a couple bucks or a hamburger and keep walking. 
ask them their name, make eye contact, tell them why you believe there's hope for them. So however <clears throat> we become focused on the, the striving, we begin to rely on our own role in life rather than God and his purpose and plan for us. So however the destruction of the Babylon of the Old Testament uh, the, the good news is the Babylon of the Old Testament and the Babylon of the New Testament was not the destruction of God's people, nor is it the destruction for us. Babylon will receive deserved destruction paid according to her works of evil and earning a double portion of wrath. But God has saved us if we have accepted his son Jesus as our Savior. And it says in his word, he has saved and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, Second Timothy 1, 9. And if you look, Revelation verse 4, it says, Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. Well, I want you to look at 2 Corinthians really quick. We're getting ready to close. Chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. Now, I'm going to read from a paraphrase, the NLT, but you've got your word for word. Always read it first in a word for word. And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and separate yourself from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you and I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Hey, guys, the Lord hasn't saved us and called us to be part of this culture. Yes, we need to meet people where they are. And yes, we don't need to hold up picket signs and scream at them about their sins and draw lines with them in the sand. We need to show them the love, the unconditional love of Jesus Christ while not taking on the culture. My husband and I went to a church when he was lost one Sunday morning. I had finally convinced him to go to church with me, and I was so excited and got the little three girls in tow, and here we walk in, and we were at a church in Coweta County. It was a pretty big church, and, 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 and we walked around, and, and nobody, of course, we were a few minutes late, <laughs> and nobody, if you know me, that's funny, and nobody would let us sit down, and <clears throat> they would say, no, I'm sorry, this seat's saved, this seat's saved. It was pretty full, so we made a second round. The pastor sees what's happening. We see him cue a deacon, and if you've ever been a pastor, you know, you know this pastor's thinking, what is going on with my people? And so we go around. There's nowhere to sit. Nobody will let us sit down. They won't even move for the deacon. We may get back around to the door, and my husband says, we're leaving. These people need Jesus more than I do. So, God has called us out. He has called us to be separate, but not to be mean. So we can love people without taking on their culture. You know, and and different denominations, you know, do this different. So, I mean, but, like, there are some things that God's Word says are not pleasing to Him, and we can't mix the culture with the Word of God and 
and try to entice people with that. <coughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, hey, come check us out. We're so cool. You know, we'll blow off some fog machines and some stuff, and we'll do like a concert, and you guys will feel really good when you leave, but you'll be lost as the blue blazes because we won't tell you anything that's going to help change your life. So anyway, we have to be careful of that. We've, we are to be different. We are to be separate. We are spared because of Christ's work, not punished according to our own. Hallelujah. And salvation is not based on self-reliance, but our surrender to God by the acceptance of salvation through Jesus Christ, becoming totally reliant on Jesus, not us, not your bank account, not your spouse. Because let me tell you something, spouses die no matter how much they love us. They do. And if my reliance is completely on my spouse, guess what happens to me? I am not standing up here this morning. It is by God's grace that I am able to stand before you this morning. It is his spirit that holds me upright and gets me off the floor. If I depend on my kids, what do kids do? (laughs) They leave. They move away. They do horrible things. They marry boys. If they're girls, preferably. But, you know, like, and and vice versa. Now, God certainly could have wiped me out forever. I deserved it. We all do. But instead, he has rebuilt my life on the precious cornerstone of his grace. God will not and does not remember my sins or your sins when we are washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. He says in his word, for I will forgive their wrongdoing and I will never again remember their sins in Hebrews 8, 12. Wicked Babylon is a picture of the enemy's schemes and seemingly secure in his triumph, fortified by the forces of darkness for a fleeting moment to he appears untouchable, but he is not. I don't care what's on the news. He has not, he does not win. He has not won. The enemy has fallen. He he is a fallen enemy. And we are to call it out in a mighty voice. Revelation 17a says, For in a single hour of all his wealth has been laid to waste. The enemy will will be, he already has been laid to waste. This is God's work for us against Satan. Satan became a defeated foe. In a moment, with the flash of an angel, the stone rolled away, and evil crumbled, and God's plan for our redemption could not be stopped. Not then, not now, and not ever. Ladies and gentlemen, the world may weep and mourn when evil crumbles, but heaven will always rejoice. Our God is a God who triumphs over evil, and he redeems us with his glory. And so as Christ followers this morning, if you have surrendered your life to God through his son, Jesus Christ, as a Christ follower, we are to, as in Revelation 18, 20, rejoice, rejoice, (laughs) because God has pronounced on Babylon the judgment that she passed on us. Amen? Father God, thank you. Oh, thank you, Lord. 
Thank you that heaven rejoices. Because, Lord, we know that the victory is already won. Lord, when we watch um, the things in front of us and the circumstances, we can become doubtful, God, when we get our eyes off of you. But, Father, thank you that your word is your continuous encouragement to us that it is finished. You finished the work on the cross. It is not of us. Satan is defeated. Heaven rejoices. Amen.